I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome to our first episode of Parent Talk, all about food. And I think over the years, Susan and I have come to realize that food is the easiest battle of childhood to understand, but the hardest to accept. Arthur, you're absolutely right. We have done so many workshops for parents about food and eating struggles. And even though in our heads we think this is actually easy to understand and actually not so difficult to to resolve, but yet parents come to us incredibly anxious about their child's eating habits. And I really believe that it's because it's embedded in our DNA. After all, if we don't feed that newborn infant, that child's going to die. That is so much an integral part of what it means to be a parent, that even when you get past those very delicate first few weeks and your child is eating, even when the child is a toddler or a school-age kid, we still keep a little remnant of that idea that if our child isn't eating what we think is the appropriate amount or the appropriate type of food, there's something wrong. And it goes very deep. You know, when you were talking about that, Susan, I was recalling the fact over the course of, well, really all of life's history, not having enough food is one of the main problems that all life faces. And throughout most of human history, until very recently, famine was a a common threat. Sort of evolutionary, isn't it? It's like, it's part of our evolution. There's that deep sense that this is one of the key ways in which our children could end up in in real danger, you know, real threat to their life. So there's a a profound sense of obligation, of responsibility, of getting it right, a fear that something terrible is going to happen if you come up short. And I think one of the real problems that parents face, all parents really, is that they're put in a position of having to know if the amount and quality of the food their child's eating is the right amount and of good quality. The problem is nobody can feel somebody else's hunger. (laughs) So, I mean, that's just not possible, is it? You don't always know what the amount of food is, what your child actually needs to grow and develop and be healthy. We're going to talk about this at some length because I think it's going to help people to understand it's not their imagination that they're having trouble really knowing exactly how much their child needs to be fed at this meal or this day. The right amount of food that our children needs changes quite a bit. It doesn't only change from this age to that age, but also from this day to that day and from this hour to that hour. I think that that is really one of the hardest things for parents to wrap their brain around. When parents come to me and they're talking, especially about toddlers, we're not talking about newborn infants. That's a little bit easier to measure, but even that is not completely without its variations, right? I mean, I'm assuming that if you're using a bottle and could even look at the amount of food a baby's getting, some days that baby might want to take the full four ounces and another day, they may only take two and a half to three ounces. Would you say that's true? Huge range, absolutely huge range. And if you think about it, we go along our merry way, breathing the air we need to breathe, eating the food we need to eat. We, not, we don't measure really how much oxygen we take in, <laughs> but, uh, but it's vital. Our bodies tell us the answer to that, as, as we're going to talk about shortly. But 
the amount that we need goes up and down wildly. And you do see it right from the beginning. As you put it, you know, it can range to a feeding being half an ounce to being eight ounces, back and forth and back and forth. So it really varies according to how much the body needs. At a very fundamental level, that's something we can't know. We don't know that about ourselves. I can't tell you tomorrow how much uh, food I'm going to need to eat, but I'll know moment to moment if I'm hungry or not. So really it comes down to a little bit of this is that parents have to learn to trust their child's instinct about how much they need to eat in any particular feeding. Exactly right. That is going to be the key to the puzzle of food across all of our podcasts on food. I'm so glad you put it that way. And today we're going to talk about how does the body know? I mean, I might not know how much my child needs to eat or how much I need to eat, but my body knows, my child's body knows. How does the body know? And then we're going to talk about this trick we call appetite. And then we're going to close off this podcast of Parent Talk with really what does it mean to trust, as you put so well, our child's appetite. So let's start off with how does the body know really how much food to eat? So we tend to think as parents, it's up to us to have the best idea of how much our baby or child's body needs to eat any day or any given moment. And certainly if parents don't know, grandparents, and speaking as a grandparent, I can tell you that we often feel as though, of course we know, but the real answer is fascinating, powerful, and so much better than that. Turns out the answer to the question of how much do I need to eat right now at any moment across our entire lives can only be delivered by the body that uses that food. And that is determined not by the body, but by each cell in the body. That's what I'm saying, that this should be a self-regulating type of issue with parents, right? If parents could really learn to trust it. And I think that the reason they can't, well, first of all, it's the grandparents, you know, you know, <laughs> pushing more food on. It's the fact that the kid next to them is like downing a whole banana and their kid's sort of licking it. Like, I'm not sure about that today. Right. I mean, it's like, Absolutely. I mean, and then of course, all the, like the marketing that you get ads in the magazines that new parents read or, or things that they watch on TV or the books that they read, everything seems to be giving them, this is what a child needs to eat. In fact, it's not difficult to go into a book or, or magazine and they'll actually list it out. And as you're saying, uh, well, that may be a good general guideline, but if you're taking that as your gospel, you might say, you're going to get into trouble probably. I often think about the example of a camp and let's say the camp director discovers that the average 10-year-old eats this amount of food for lunch. Well, now the camp lunch is set at that average amount of food. Everyone in the camp gets that amount for lunch. Well, what's the result of that? Everyone, almost everyone at that camp is going to be upset because half the campers need less than that average amount. And they're going to think they're getting fed a lot of extra food they don't need and be throwing away a lot of food. And then the other half of the camp is going to be hungry because they need more food than the average. And they're going to complain and say, why didn't you give me enough to eat? So the, the right answer varies quite a bit from person to person. And I just want to drill down for a moment and have our listeners join us in this fantastic journey inside the body where we find out that our bodies are made up of over 10 trillion individual cells. And every single one of them needs a variety of materials to live, grow, and function. So how much food I need or your child needs at any age, at any moment in time, is completely defined by how much material each of these 10 trillion cells need in that moment. And I can guarantee you there's not a person alive who could possibly detail for you 
what each cell in your body needs right now, never mind an hour from now or tomorrow. So eating is really a function of meeting the needs of all our cells, each of them together. And they each give a little signal to our brain about whether that cell has all they need or needs some more. And if they need some more, what they need? Do they need some fat? Do they need some protein? Do they need just plain calorie? It's really literally that combined signal from all 10 trillion cells that combines into one unifying signal that tells us right now, do you feel pretty good? Is everything okay? Or are you hungry? I told my own daughter, she, my youngest granddaughter is a bit of a picky eater, or what we call a picky eater. And we'll get into picky eaters and, and very specific questions in later podcasts on food. But the one thing I used to say to her is don't look at what she ate today on Tuesday, but ask what she's what did she eat over the last two weeks? Sort of, you know, make an average of that. And if you really would keep a track of what your kids would eat, let's say over a two-week period, you'd see that they got that that fat, they got the protein, they got the, you know, whatever it is that, they're, that their body is needing, they're going to eat it. I think of it like as an average. Do you think that this was an okay thing for me to say to my daughter? Does that make sense to you as a pediatrician? Absolutely. You know, it's sort of like... Um think about the Dow Jones thing, it could, you know, make it trend up, may trend down. But if you look closely enough, it's going to jiggle. It's going to go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You don't know whether you're going up or down over time or not. So if you look at each meal, you're going to get lost in the uh, detail of huge ups and downs, that jiggle that you see like in the Dow Jones number. But over time, you're going to see a trend over time. And that makes such a big difference. I don't think we tend to think of eating as satisfying 10 trillion different cells, because often there's other ways people get an idea how much that body needs. One is, like I said, at camp, what's the average amount that people need to eat? That's in all the books. That average number is nearly useless. Almost everyone either needs a little more or a little less than the average from any moment. Or when it comes to our children and think, well, the right answer to how much they need to eat is set by the number of meals they eat a day. Or we might say the right amount to eat is defined by the size of a given plate or how many ounces in a given bottle. Or this is a, this is a really big one that we, I think no one escapes from, which is pressure from other people who might think they're helping out and say, I think your kid's not eating enough. Imagine as a parent trying to resist the pressure of someone saying, I don't think your kid's eating enough. That taps into all that stuff we we're talking about through evolution, that sense of dread that we're not going to provide for our children adequately. They're, they're not doing their job. The yes. parent's not doing their job. They're not making their child eat, which of course is something you really can't do, is yeah. it? I mean, I will tell you, parents try that really, really hard. They set up all these sort of unrealistic goals, and, and we're going to get into that a little mm -hmm. bit later, if not in this podcast, for sure the next one. Because I think that's what parents find themselves dealing with. They're at the dinner table, and it's always, what is it? One more bite just two more bites and you get your dessert. <laughs> Just try a, a little bit of the peas <laughs> or whatever it is. And I think I shared this with you, Arthur. I, I was, I, I keep trying to tell my daughter that she thinks her daughter is a picky eater. She doesn't know from a picky eater, <laughs> except when I was little, I ate about four foods till I was eight years old. And, and my, I still remember my mother and I was old enough to remember this. So I had to be four or five feeding me and saying, open your mouth like a big garage. Let the next door neighbor 
Oscar's big, you know, Osmobile get in. And, and I, I, I remember being force fed in, in, in that way. And, and I, and I did vow, maybe this is why I find this topic so interesting. I vowed when I had my own children, I was not going to try to regulate their, their eating. I was not going to try to decide what they needed to eat. And that's the kind of guidance that maybe some parents, I hope some parents are looking for. And hopefully already our listeners are be- hopefully beginning to think, gee, if, you know, how much you need is dictated and defined by how much material each cell needs, then how could I possibly have any idea? I can't even guess. One, one nice example of that, and it doesn't matter if your child is breastfed or bottle fed, is the example of breastfeeding, where by definition, no one has any idea how much food the baby's eating, and yet they grow quite well. It works quite well without having any idea how much they're eating. So I think with that in mind, we want to spend a a few minutes now on this trick that we call appetite. The way I like to think about it is appetite is a trick of the mind, very much like being tired is a trick of the mind. We might think that we go to sleep to rest. That's because it's feeling tired that forces us to go to sleep. But the point of sleep isn't really about resting. It's to reorganize the brain. And we've talked about that on our sleep podcast It's a trick of the mind to get you to sleep. And the same is true for appetite. Appetite is the sensation that the mind creates. And if you don't have that trick, you won't eat. Elderly people who may lose their appetite towards the end of life know that they have to eat to live, but they they don't want to and they won't because their mind hasn't played that trick. So appetite is crucial to eating. No appetite, no eating. And so it is with our babies and children. If their mind doesn't create an appetite to eat, they will not eat, period. So the question is, how do you know when your child refuses to eat if they have all they need or not? If they don't have an appetite, is that essential trick to eating something that should be there, that parents should be constructing, or should we trust them that they don't need the food? I think this is what parents might ask you. They might say, can parents construct this appetite, this trick of the mind? Or do we just have to know that it's innate in any typically developing child and it's going to just occur naturally? There's no easier way to generate appetite than there is to generate the sense of breathing. And I really like comparing breathing and eating because if you think about it, breathing is actually more critical than eating. You can go a long time without eating but you certainly can't go more than four minutes without breathing. And so we're all hanging on the edge of this four-minute cliff, having to take a breath every few seconds, and yet we don't give that a second thought. We trust our children to get enough air. That's actually fascinating, Arthur. And I love this, and I think that you should almost say this again, because that, I think, is really the key. If we know that without breathing, you're going to die in just in like four or five minutes, but you could go a week without eating. You'd be pretty hungry, but you could go a week without food. And parents never give a thought to a typically developing child's breathing. So why is it that parents can't trust the eating? Is it because it's just so much more physical? You think it's because we actually have physical food that you can see getting consumed, but you don't really see the air getting consumed. What, what do you think? Well, I think part of it is oxygen is everywhere. It doesn't matter yeah. what the crops do that year there's still going to be plenty of oxygen to breathe. And so it just never has become a worry throughout our history. Whereas we come up short for food across history all the time, as we talked about initially. I think the point here is that there's nothing unusual about a parent trusting the child's getting enough oxygen. And I can tell you, if we measured it, 
I think people would be quite shocked at how different the amount of oxygen people breathe in this minute versus that minute, this day versus that day. It varies quite a bit because, again, the cells are dictating to the body how much oxygen they need. And it's exactly the same as for food. So I like people to start thinking if they trust their children to get the right amount of oxygen in their body, they can trust them to get the right amount of food. It's less critical. And the good news is that a young child's appetite before the age of four, let's say, before age four years old, a child's appetite is extremely trustworthy. In fact, over the course of I don't know how many years in practice, I can tell you that the accuracy of a parent or grandparent's guess about how much their child should eat for the next meal compared to what the child's body says they should eat, the child's body's under age four or so is almost 100% accurate. Hmm. We just can't say the same about anyone else. And you think that because when they get beyond the age of four, there's just so many other societal pressures, pressures from children, what children see on television and on the, you know, when they're working on their video games and even when they're with their friends in school, what they see that they're eating. You, you think that those are the factors that make appetite less trustworthy after four? You put your finger right on it, Susan. You can see it on the growth curve. Next time you go to a pediatrician, take a look at the growth curve of kids age two to 20 years old. What you'll find is the weight of a child at the third percentile compared to the weight of a child at the 98th percentile, let's say at age two or three years old, it's only 10 pounds apart across the entire human species in America. The thinnest child to the most overweight child, the span is a grand total of about 10 pounds at age two or three. Really? That's, that's it. That's fascinating. It's tight as can be. You get out towards, you know, age 20, there's a two or 300 pound range from the skinniest to the most overweight. So why is that? Well, if you look at that tight little band around two or three, it begins to spread out around four to six years old. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens at four to six years old where the range of weights begins to really explode? And that has to do 100% with the marketing of food. All of our appetites are subject to powerful marketing forces. And I mentioned that because we're talking about trusting a child's appetite. Mm -hmm. After four to six years of age, we have to begin to worry about how the appetite's been influenced by food marketing. And with very few exceptions, you're going to come under that influence. And so that that is a situation where social and, and marketing pressures can can really twist the appetite around. But we're, we're really saying that to really emphasize the fact that prior to four years of age, from birth until age four, the appetite is so uniformly well-performing the range of weight across all of humanity is about 10 pounds at each age. That's an amazing amount of uh, accuracy. So what you're saying is that parents of older children may have to weigh in a little bit about either limiting exposure when they're able to, when they're maybe four or five or six, and also about the kinds of foods they bring into the house. Really glad you raised that point, Susan, because it emphasizes the same point we're making over and over in this podcast which is the threat of a child not eating enough is vanishingly rare in a healthy child. And if you think about it, when does parenting become an important issue in helping manage a child's appetite? It's after age four to six when food marketing kicks in, but not because they're eating too little, because they're starting to eat too much. And yet when we're like in a restaurant or sitting with our cousins and watching them, how many of us have seen over and over and over again a parent cajoling or forcing or 
bribing a child to continue to eat. And parents will come up and they'll actually say to me, but I gave them this meal and they didn't eat it all or they didn't try all the foods. And what I'll say to them is, I want you to imagine that you're at the restaurant with your girlfriend or your mother or your cousin. <laughs> and, you know, you've ordered your, your lunch and, you know, you've had enough. You finished it. Maybe you want to take half of it home in a box. Maybe you just didn't taste exactly what you expected. But you stop eating and your girlfriend across the table from you says, uh, excuse me, we're not leaving this table <laughs> until you finish your, completely finish your salad or no coffee for you and dessert. I mean, it, they start to laugh because it doesn't make sense. As an adult, we would never allow somebody else to, to tell us when we're full or when we're not full, would we? Oh, no, 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 no. I think that's a universal experience across families, across restaurants. I think this point that you started our conversation with, Susan, about the central point we're trying to make is to trust a child's appetite. Uh, we're going to wrap that up with uh, just talking about a, a series of things that people fear versus what the real problem is. And then in our second podcast on food, we're going to be talking about how growing changes what you need. Different ages have different sorts of needs. So we're going to get into that. And then we're going to put all these uh, fun facts that we talked about today and that will start our next podcast on food with into a discussion of some real life uh, situations. And and we have a thousand of them, don't we, Arthur? <laughs> oh, no end. As many as there are different foods. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So let's go through a few points on the fear around food that parents experience versus the real problem that parents really do face around food. We've already mentioned this, that in the newborn infant phase, I really feel like it's in our DNA that we've got to make sure that that child is eating, eating regularly and growing. And really the best way for a parent to know if their child's getting enough food is just to see how they're growing. If they're, if they're gaining weight, if they're getting longer in the newborn period, that means that they're getting enough food. Going to the pediatrician and looking at that growth curve, understanding that what falling on the growth curve, as you so well put it, if you're on the lower end, you're really probably in the newborn, uh, maybe a pound or ounces between a thinner newborn and a one that's putting on weight more quickly. I have to tell you, um, Arthur, when I was thinking about this fear, I actually have a question that I was going to put in the next podcast. But I think I'm going to end the podcast with this. It's actually from a grandmother aha, the other way around that you would expect. Um, her grandson was born with some significant digestive issues and had to have multiple endoscopies and other kinds of intervention and was a very, very slow grower. He was a little bit early as well. So he started life as a like a five pound baby. And there was a lot of worry about his growth and development. Now you can fast forward. He's now over four years of age and he's lovely. There's not one developmental delay. He's the size of, uh, of an average four-year-old. But guess what's still happening? The grandmother wanted to know, my daughter-in-law is still giving him a bottle because mm. she's so fearful that he's not going to get enough food. She puts in different things like these um, supplements for, for babies. So, you know, how would you respond to that grandmother? She thinks that he's too old to be walking around with a bottle and that he's growing fine and that this, this worry and this need that the mother has not been able to discharge after all these years is still there. And of course, then there's the, the habit that the child has formed about grabbing the bottle, whether it's milk or it's one of those supplemental drinks. How would you respond to that, that grandmother and to help that mother 
So I think one thing that's helpful is we've been talking about why we all are fearful about whether our kids are getting enough to eat. But I think we want to end this uh, conversation and then pick up on, on this particular specific problem that you've uh, challenged us with with our next podcast, uh, some answers on how you manage mm-hmm. that. But I, my first response and how we'll end today's program is in saying, yes, we all are fearful that our children aren't eating enough early on in childhood. But the real story is the number one threat to our health, our complete health, not just food health, is eating too much. Overeating is now the number one cause of death in the United States. Mm. It surpassed tobacco about two to three years ago. Amazing. You, you can say in the U.S., unless finances are tight, there's plenty of people who aren't getting enough food. But for those for whom food is available, we are literally drowning in food. And yet our, the most common fear isn't related to this reality. It's that our baby or child is not eating enough. So these fears can overwhelm a child's natural sense of appetite and push them towards overweight. So I think my first response to this scenario you share with us is let very gently let the grandparents know whoever's trying to push the kid to eat more than they want to eat, that the real threat to their well-being is not coming up short on food, it's getting too much food. And as you said right at the beginning of this podcast, better to trust It's a great place for us to complete this conversation. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.